Hi, this is Ivan Parfenov, Community Justice Vista at the Sergeant Shriver National Center on Poverty Law, a national leader in advancing justice and opportunity. I want to welcome you to The Witness. A monthly podcast where we bring you first-hand stories from attorneys and advocates who are on the front lines of fighting for justice for people living in poverty. The Witness is a project of the Shriver Center's Clearinghouse community. Today's episode is a third in our new mini-series about the Shriver Center's own Racial Justice Institute. Formerly the Racial Justice Training Institute, over the past five years, the Racial Justice Institute has equipped more than 200 fellows from around the country to practice community-led advocacy in pursuit of racial justice. During the first ever Racial Justice Institute national convening, we got to talk with some of the lawyers and advocates who came together from across the country. We learned about their lives, their careers, and their hopes for the future of the Racial Justice Institute. In our third episode, we hear the conversation between John Pettit, a managing attorney at Community Legal Services, Inc., and Ann Moss, a supervising attorney at Legal Services of South Central Michigan. Do you want to tell us your name? Hi, I'm John Pettit. I work at Community Legal Aid Services covering south of Cleveland. We cover Akron, Youngstown, Canton, uh, Eight County region there. And how long? Oh, sorry. And how long have you been there? Uh, I've been there a little over 12 years. And I, that wasn't your first job as an attorney, right? No, that's right. I, I didn't start out wanting to be a legal aid lawyer. Um, I, I wanted to do trial work, and so I, I got involved with child support, ran out of law school, or I had some immediate uh, court hearings that developed uh, into prosecutor's office, eventually into uh, private practice for about five years, uh, litigation practice, and then a couple years with the Jesuits, and the Jesuits told me, go be a legal aid lawyer. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. Here you are. Yeah, yeah. So how about you? Tell, tell us. I, um, I'm at Legal Services of South Central Michigan in Battle Creek, Michigan. I've been there for five years. Fine, okay. Um, being a lawyer is actually my second career. Mm. First, I, um, I was an English teacher at Western Michigan University. I taught literature and writing. And then I decided to go to law school. <laughs> yeah. So how's your experience with legal aid? I love it. Before I worked at Legal Services, I was a research clerk for the Court of Appeals. Uh, and I um, clerked for a circuit court judge. And neither of those had enough advocacy involved for me to be very happy. But yeah. now, now I'm where I want to be. And you do housing. I do almost exclusively housing law. Yeah, yeah. And you're, uh, you came to RJTI last year? Right, so I've, um, I was just at RJTI last year, and I came with a group of, there's seven of us from Michigan, pretty well spread out across the state, and we have a statewide project that we're working on. Yeah, and you came, I think, two years in. I came in 2015. You came in 2015? Yeah. And tell me, tell me about how that has affected your practice. 
Well, substantially. Um, you know, I, I didn't grow up in an area. I grew up in more of a rural county. There were no minorities in the, I mean, maybe one or two in the county, <laughs> really. But, uh, and so I really have not looked at things from a racial justice lens. And RJTI was great, um, certainly helped me learn about more about implicit bias. Um, and, and Bill Kennedy, you know, said something to us about that. If, if you're doing legal aid work, you can't do legal aid if you're not focused on, on racial justice. Um, those, those two have to go together. And I think that really changed things for me. One of the things that, that, that I, I think it did was um, we knew we had to be more involved with the community and to reach out and, and to develop some tools. Um, and RJTI taught us to, to go out and listen to the community and to be engaged and to be, be close, be proximate with those we serve. And one of the things that that helped was there, there was a situation in, in Canton where residents, 38 families of a, a public housing complex um, were being told they had to move. Okay, and, let me ask a yeah. question here. That was after you went to RJTI, right? Yeah. yeah. And how'd you hear about the families? Yeah. So we're involved with a um, homeless collaboration. And so um, we'd found out through the community just uh, in the newspaper, I think, and then, and then through some of our community contacts that this was happening. We'd heard from residents who were upset that they were being told they had to move and move quickly, and they didn't understand why. Okay. And the RJTI focus, I think, um, we went out, we looked at the situation, and we were surprised that Canton still is a very uh, segregated um, city, and this was in an area that was predominantly uh, African-American, and sure enough, uh, I think 36 out of 38 families there were African-American. I think almost all, maybe all of them, were female head of household. Wow. And... Um, and so I think that from an RJTI lens, you know, some, it didn't look right. It's like, why, why is this happening? Didn't seem like there was a voice. Um, we reached out to the housing authority. We went to one of the meetings, the public meetings they had about it. And, and really, it was sort of the impression that, that, that there was a lack of dignity and respect for, for the people that were in public housing. Um, and I guess that RJTI kind of helped me say, all right, this is an issue we need to be involved with. We need to reach out, get to know these folks there, um, and, and listen to what their concerns are. Wow. So how were you able to help them? Well, so we, we thought that we would have our own community meeting and, and bring in other community partners. The Housing Authority had a meeting. Um, and it was very, very much like a lecture when we went to that. Like they're telling them, this is what you're going to do, and, and, and this is what we're going to do. And it wasn't a conversation. So we wanted to have a conversation. And so, ironically, there's a, a public park right next to this place, that, and it had a gazebo. And so it was a perfect spot for um, a community conversation. And so we put up some flyers, and we thought, we'll just we'll invite other uh, social service agencies churches, other, other members of the community to come out. And we were surprised. We, we had 30 people come, and, you know, out of the 38 
families there. And, you know, they were concerned about where they're going to go. You know, are they going to get assistance with, with other, uh, with a voucher? Um, you know, what if they, they can't get approved? And so we ended up, we, we offered that if people attended, as with other agencies there, they could, they could ask for our help. Um, Sixteen people signed up. And some of them, one of the most compelling stories, I think, was one, one um, elderly resident who she was trying to find a spot, and they denied her, and she had an eviction on her record from 20 years ago. Yes. And, and so, um, and, and her credit wasn't that great. And, and time was running out. They, they'd given two months, and, and that time was going quickly. So one of our attorneys reached out to that um, housing complex, housing provider, and talked to them about their policies as to, you know, why is her credit so important? Why does this 20-year-old eviction matter? This is subsidized mm -hmm. housing. Um, she has no criminal record. You know, there's, there's not a threat to that community. And they reevaluated their policies. They changed their policies oh, wow. and they let her in. And, and so I think that helped. With, with her, uh, we had other residents who, for various reasons, um, looked like they were not going to be able to get a subsidy, and we helped those. You know, and, and, and other residents, you know, just common dignity. You know, a lot of the working poor lived there, and they were told, you have to come to these meetings on these dates, otherwise you're not going to get assistance. And, you know, as we come to find working with the working poor, their jobs, their bosses, often are not that, you know, flexible. You miss work, you get fired, you know. And, and so, um, we, you know, we didn't do complex litigation, but we were a voice. You know, we were able to, to intervene. Um, and I think one of the, the most rewarding things, our, our attorney got a, a, a card, a nice card from one of the, the clients, and, and um, she said, in, in the cards, she said, I felt you had a genuine concern for the trials and tribulations I faced. Um, and then she gave us a quote. She said, I, I tell my daughter, where much is given, much is required. Enjoy the journey you have chosen in changing people's lives, rather big or small. That's the greatest gift you can give. And, and that was really moving for us, that, that we were able to sort of get to know those folks. And they, you know, appreciated the work we did, and we appreciate being able to help them. And it seemed like you handled this case differently than you would have before RJTI. Do you think? I think that's probably true. Yeah. Would you have done the community meeting? No, no, I don't think so. Yeah, and RJTI talked about, you know, we we, we can't think we know all the answers. We got to get to know the people mm -hmm. and go listen and and meet and 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 build some trust and rapport and and that's a different model. And I don't think we had done that before RJTI. Sure. That's such a great story. Yeah, thanks. So how about you? I, I know you're <laughs> a year out. We're only a year out, and our project, so our group project is we have seven of us from Michigan, and we're in different legal aid programs in the state, and we have a little bit of a lofty goal, but I, I think we can pull it off, which is to have a statewide task force to facilitate legal aid and legal services attorneys um, to do their work through a racial justice lens. Um, and that task force will 
importantly, involve working with the communities and community agencies, the whole get our information from the people it actually affects rather than us telling the people it affects what they need to do. Mm -hmm. um, but we realized the first step in implementation is getting legal services staff up to speed. So we're planning a training session for this fall um, that we're hoping, and I think we will get a pretty good turnout of legal services attorneys to present what we've learned at RJTI um, to all these attorneys. We've also already started reaching out to the community for people outside of legal services that will be involved in the task force. Were you involved with um, racial justice issues before RJTI? Not as intentionally. Um, I've always been invested in it. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why. I guess I don't know why I wouldn't be right. <laughs> about that. Yeah. Yeah. But I did teach for America right after college and taught in Mississippi um, where our school was 97% African-American yeah. and all living in poverty. Um, it really opened my eyes to a lot of things. Is there anything in particular that you learned in RJTI that, that stands out? Um, Bill Kennedy. Yeah. <laughs> what I remember him saying was, whenever you get a case, you need to ask yourself, how does race affect this case? Mm -hmm. Because no matter what, race plays some role. Mm -hmm. And I had never really thought about it before. Yeah. And once you start doing that, you do. So true. Yeah. And sometimes just asking the client. Yeah. I, I think about our Washington townhome situation. And, and RJTI, really, I mean, one of the things that stuck in my mind is... Would they treat these people this way if it was in a different part of Canton and this was a predominantly white community? And I don't think so. Right. Should I'm we just excited there? to keep going like, yeah. Yeah, with the can. work. Yeah. With the work, I mean. like, yeah. I feel like it's spreading out kind of like, Yeah. What's the, what's the right metaphor? Like, a, like water spreading over the mm -hmm. country through the racial justice yeah. network. There's got to be a better analogy. Yeah. Well, there is momentum to it. Yeah. Yeah. And as we build all our connections and... Yeah. Well, there is a piece. I, I don't know if, if you've found this and um, with your work in housing, but there's a piece, and it came up in our session yesterday, that um, sometimes the public housing agencies and housing authorities, they think that legal aid's not needed for them because they're looking out for the poor. And I don't think that's true. <laughs> and, and certainly not in all situations. We have a situation where the Public Housing Commission um, previously had a, a very adversarial relationship with our office. Mm -hmm. um, and after a lot of work, I am convincing them that we can be collaborators instead. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> but um, they still have a lot of practices that I'm trying to forcefully yet friendly, in a yeah. friendly manner, get them to change. Yeah. How have you done that? Um, I 
have really worked on just my personal relationship with the director and making a point at, of talking with them when I don't have a case with them, mm -hmm. which sounds like a really yeah. simplistic, silly thing, but it really makes a difference right. having had some social conversation with them when we were both at the same community meeting. And then when I call him about a specific case, I feel like he's more willing to listen. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I'm begging. I do some begging. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Coming up next on The Witness. Hi, Alicia. Hi, Sheila. <laughs> I am very curious to know who is your role model? And please tell me about this person. Thank you for listening to this mini series on the Racial Justice Institute. Once again, this has been Ivan Parfenoff from the Sergeant Shriver's National Center on Poverty Law. This episode was recorded and produced by Jesse Dixon, the Training and Engagement Vista at the Shriver Center. We'd like to extend a special thanks to the RJI cohort members for sharing their stories and allowing us to record at the convening. We hope you'll continue joining us for The Witness. We would also like to invite you to join us for the Advocacy Exchange, our monthly conversations with advocates advancing change. Those are hosted live through YouTube each month. You can find both the Advocacy Exchange and The Witness on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. You can also learn more about the podcast and the Clearinghouse community by going to povertylaw.org forward slash clearinghouse. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.